Thank you. Whoa. We'll back up, all right? Thank you so much for being here today. It's a great privilege for Charlotte and I to be here and be a part of your fellowship, our fellowship now, and we thank you for this. We came here almost two years ago now. Came seeking, came looking, came listening to the counsel of God. We came on the parking lot of Pitts Hill Church of Nazarene and sensed the presence of the living God. We've never forgotten him. There's one person here today who invited us to be here, and we thank God for that. And never underestimate what one invitation will do. Thank you, Brandy. God is more than able. He is more than faithful. I often told Pastor B.J., whom I love immensely, and Pastor Greg, the greatest asset Pittsfield Church of Nazarene has is this. When you come here, you feel unconditionally accepted and loved, and it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. You can go some places and be judged by what you wear, what social strata you come from, what your bank account looks like. But when you come here, you're covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world. We love you immensely. You mean a great deal to us. We treasure the relationship that we enjoy here. We look forward to the continued leadership of Pastor BJ, Pastor Greg, and their families. It's a great time that we serve together, love together, and look to him. I want to share this morning from the word of God. There's a message note enclosed in your bulletin this morning that covers in detail what we're doing. You may want to follow along, you may not. But if you would look at the scripture, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. I'm talking this morning about looking beyond the visible. Looking beyond the visible. We too often focus on what we see what is crying out for attention and what we need in our life. The Apostle Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18, has a totally different perspective. If you would, take that message note, get in your hand, we're going to read it aloud together, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, in just a moment. When you find it, get it in your hands, and we'll read it together. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, it's the New American Standard Bible. I'll read in just a moment the New Living Translation, but here we go. Therefore, reading together, we do not lose heart, but though our inner man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, Far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things that are seen, but things which are not seen, or the things which are seen are temporal, but things that are not seen are eternal. That's in ASB. Listen very closely as I read the New Living Translation. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles, the apostle said, are small and they won't last. 
They won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. And then he says this in verse 18. So look not at the troubles we see now. Rather fix your gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things that we do not see will last forever. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning as we have all morning long. Falling at your feet, confessing our need to be empowered and strengthened by you. Asking you to give us wisdom, direction, and counsel as a believer, as a church, as a body in this city. We pray that you would give us discernment, but above all, that we might know your power and your cleansing and your perfecting, your completing. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As you examine the life of the Apostle Paul, a great man, a great heritage, a great scholar, wrote many books that we find in our New Testament, you might wonder, as you examine the counsel he's given in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, talking about troubles of the present, eternity, and what it's going to be like, you may ask yourself this morning, does the man really know what he's talking about? Does he have any idea what troubles are really like? In that brief introductory paragraph, I urge you to look at these scriptures later. We'll not go over them here this morning. But indeed, they tell very graphically what he has faced. In chapter 1 of this great book of 2 Corinthians, he said, while we were in Asia, he said, why, David, we were afflicted beyond our strength at the point of death and had no idea what's going to happen. And he said, you know, all this happened that we might learn to trust in God and believe in him. And then I look in that brief little section in chapter 2, I believe it is. He was in Troas. And he was beside himself, full of anxiety. Thought he was supposed to be there. But in the end, went in another direction. And he said, I was distressed. Let me ask this this morning. Anybody here ever get in distress? Anybody here ever, as my mother used to say, get allocated? That is not an American word, but mother used it. A-D-D-L-E-P-A-T-E-D. Elevated. It's a synonym of the word discombobulated. <laughs> and the reality is this. For every one of us, there is a time, and it may be this morning, when you're elevated or discombobulated, and you wonder, where do I go from here? What's going on next? And the great apostle has the answer. He says, you're out on the end of that limb and you don't know what to do, but you're there so you can trust in God and believe he can deliver you. 
and give you hope. The apostle knows what he's talking about. It's a great awareness of affliction. But he said this, we do not lose heart. More than once in the book of 2 Corinthians, indeed in other books as well that he wrote, he uses this term, we will not lose heart. I don't know about you, but I think I do. There are occasions when we face challenges that are greater than we are, bigger than us, that seem insurmountable, that we tend to throw up our hands and say, I give up. But the great apostle says this, we do not give up. We do not lose heart. That's the reality of the challenge. But you say, David, I would like to think I could operate in that frame of mind. I'd like to think that with what I'm facing as a single mom, as a teenager, as a child in elementary school or middle school, as a young adult, I'd like to think that what I'm facing, I can handle and I can have peace in dealing with it. I've got news for you. There's an answer in this world here today. We can overcome, not only individually, but as a church. And by the way, I totally support Pastor BJ, Pastor Greg, and their analysis, their vision, and what they're looking for in days ahead. Let me tell you something. We never grow by sitting still. We exist as a church body for those who are not here yet. We're not here for our identification. We're here for those who are not here yet, who need to be reached and taught and built up in the inner man. Now, here's, here's where we are now. If you're following along in the message notes, the last sentence in the introduction says this. How in the world, it doesn't say in the world, but it's there. How do I see beyond the immediate and the visible? You know what, David? I'm consumed. I'm overwhelmed. Ever get that way? A few years ago, we were in McAllister, Oklahoma, traveling on the way to Dallas to see my neurosurgeon in Dallas, Texas. Charlotte fell and broke her femur. Extensive surgery, never been the same since. Only God has brought her this far. And Kirby, I said at that point, I told my son, John, I said, I'm absolutely overwhelmed. He said, get over it, Dad. You're going to have to deal with it. That's kind of the way life is, isn't it? We've got to get over it. Just deal with it. But I've got news for you. Not only is that something you've got to pump yourself up for, but there's an answer in the power and spirit of the living God. There's where the answer really is. So here we go. If, in fact, we're going to rise above it, Put our focus on the Savior. We've got to, first of all, acknowledge the blessings that we have now. The Bible says, we do not lose heart. There's a little song, a little chorus that I like. It says this, give thanks with a grateful heart. But here's some things that we need to know. Coming from chapter one, if you will, of this great book. The Bible says this. We serve a God of mercy and comfort. We serve a God of mercy and comfort. You think that's not an awesome blessing? 
Here's what the Bible says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, and the God of all comfort. The Father of all mercies. You say, why well, I haven't seen any mercy. Let me tell you something. The great apostle writing in Ephesians 2 made his statement. Writing in the church at the Ephesus, he said this. Folks, I want you to know something. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But God, but God intervened. He intervened. The Bible said to God, because of his great love for us, sent his son. His son died on the cross and shed his blood to have life. The Bible goes on to say that because of that, he has made us one with Christ and seated us with him at the right hand of God. That's God. That's powerful. A God of mercy. Romans 5, 8 makes this statement. God commends his love toward us and while we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. A God of mercy. You said, well, you said here in this section, he's a God of comfort. Oh, I believe that on my heart. I talked a while ago about being elevated, discombobulated, and we've all been there. How great it is in those quiet moments over the Word of God when the Spirit of the living God intervenes and gives peace at a time like this. A peace that passes all understanding. The Bible says in Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are what? Crushed in spirit. And that's our God. He's more than able. A God of mercy and a God of comfort. Look at number two. You serve a God of deliverance and hope. Indeed, we have the sins of death, he said in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, within ourselves in order that we would not trust in ourselves. But in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, he will yet deliver us. May I add something to the word? He has not only delivered you in the past from whatever you've dealt with, whatever sin has beset you, has consumed you. He is at work right now in your life, giving you forgiveness, cleansing, power, and strength for the journey. And not only in the past and in the present, but he will deliver you in the future. We have seen recently in recent days some of our great people, heroes of the faith, go home to be with the Lord. In so doing, they have received the reward of being faithful, of standing in his presence, and having the Lord say to them, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He has delivered, he is delivering, and he will deliver. Number three in the message notes. First page, you're there, right? It's there, you got it. You deserve a God of compassion and integrity. 
Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us as God, who sealed us and gave us the Spirit as a pledge. I want to ask you a question this morning. Who brought you to the Lord Jesus Christ? Who made it possible for you to know him? I got news for you. It was the Spirit of the living God that drew you. Based on his word, both written and spoken, the Spirit of God drew you and made you aware of your great need to know him and be a part of his work and his mission. That's compassion. Compassion is when you care enough to do something about it. Let me tell you something. Our God cared. In the fullness of time, he sent forth his son that he what? Might save the people from their sins. That's my God. We serve a God of compassion and integrity. Number four on the first page, the very bottom. We serve a victorious and faithful God. A victorious and faithful God. Here's the scripture. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us a sweet aroma of the knowledge of him. There's a psalm that says this. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed baking bread. He's faithful. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation coming your way but which God will open a door, a way to escape, a way to go. He is faithful. He is victorious. And when I read my Bible, it says this. You know what? Everybody wants to be on the winning team. I've noticed that a lot. When we were kids and we were choosing up sides, you didn't want to be the last one to be chosen, right? We'd like to be on the winning team. Be a part of what's going on. I've got news for you. As a believer, you're on the winning team. God's in charge. He knows where he's going. He knows what the impact will be in the end. And he said this, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Turn the back of your message notes here this morning. If indeed you're going to see beyond the immediate and the visible, you must claim the reality of your ongoing challenge. You must claim the reality of your ongoing challenge. We tend to believe that when he says this, though the outer body is decaying, all we can think about is growing old and infirm. Getting to where you can't walk or whatever the case may be, it happens to all of us. But it's more than that. When he says, though the outer body is decaying, it means circumstances as well. Some of you are surrounded by circumstances that are falling apart. And you're wondering, what in the world am I going to do? The bill's not getting paid. A mortgage payment is due. My sister won't speak to me. And the list goes on. There are circumstances in the lives of every one of us. Let me say something to you right now. The challenges of life, it's number one, right? The challenges of life have no age discrimination. The challenges of life have no age discrimination. We look at those of us who are older, and we think, well, that's part of growing old. 
He's got infirmities. I won't even go into that. Let me just say this. It began for me when I was five years old. We were living in New York. My dad was attending a seminary up there in Johnson City, New York. I was going to kindergarten in Binghamton. I don't remember too much about Binghamton and the kindergarten, but I remember building a little house in the kindergarten class. I also remember some sweet little girl who shall remain nameless. I can't even remember her name. I do not remember what she looked like. But David was hot in love with her. Big time. Much before I ever met Charlotte. I say I don't remember her name or anything else about her. I remember two things. One, their daddy was a dump truck driver, but that's fine. He was working. But she was cute. I was fascinated. I was pulled her. But one day, whoever she was, let somebody else carry her books home. And that was the end of the journey. That was it. My challenge began early in life. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. We can go into full litany of things. We all have challenges. In Fort Lauderdale, we had a ministry to single parents. Single again. We learned that one of the greatest areas of need existed in homes that were led by single adult people, mainly women. Women and children. Facing a mortgage payment. Facing rent that's due, just trying to get food on the table, trying to get school supplies when school is starting, it's like this around here in a few weeks, a few days. Great needs. It's not limited by age. But you know what? Some of us deny the reality of the challenge. You say, well, David, I don't know what you're talking about. I'll, I'll tell you. There's a school of thought. Within Christendom, it says this. If you do not name it, if you do not confess it, it doesn't exist. Let me tell you, that's not what my Bible says. Life is real. We're all living real lives. And we need help that comes from above. Denying it will not remove it. You know, 23 years ago, Charlotte and I sat in the office of a rain surgeon in Dallas, Texas. I'd been diagnosed with a massive brain tumor. And the question was, what are we going to do? Baylor Medical School, Baylor University Hospital had turned us down. I said, the last person we worked on, we almost killed him. I said, well, don't do that to me. <laughs> I said, don't do that to me. But you know, I kept thinking, well, maybe this is just a passing thing. Well, it didn't pass. It had to be dealt with. Finally, I looked at the brain surgeon right in the eye. I said, well, Dr. Mickey, what if I do nothing? And Charlotte will vouch for this. He looked me right in the eye, and he said, you'll be dead in six months. Twenty-three years later, here we are. And that's my Jesus. As for Jesus, he made all the difference in the world. Denying it didn't change it, but listening to wise counsel, 
medically. And the power of people from all over the nation and parts of the world as well, praying, we were delivered. Oh, I have impairment, speech, walking, the whole bit, but hey, we're alive. Thank God for that. Now, you say, well, what in the world are you talking about? What are you driving at? Here's what I'm saying. At the same time all this is going on, I haven't run, haven't been able to run in 23 years. At the same time all of this is going on, something else is happening. Paul says, look, you may be decaying on the outside. Your world may be falling apart. But I've got news for you. It's great news. On the inside, on the inside, you're being built up and renewed over and over and over again. That's God. That's God. Only God can do this. Romans 8.29 makes this statement. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. God is molding you through his spirit in your inner being to be like him. You read numerous passages in Ephesians. and The Bible uses this statement. He is renewing us. Renewing us. God does the cleansing through his son. But the spirit of the living God within us as a believer renews us. And you say, well, David, you don't know where I am. No, I don't, but God does. I've got news for you, cares. And he's saying to you this morning, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can make it happen. Not on your own. Because my Bible says all things are possible through, through God. He is more than real. Let's move on to number three. We don't want anybody to get bored, right? Boredom is awful, especially in church. By the way, for those of you who have never spoke publicly, you can always tell when boredom sets in. People start looking at their watches. Some of them start turning around, look at the clock on the wall. Or in today's world, they pull out their phone and check the uh, time. So beware of that. We know we can see. All right, here we go. Look <laughs> at number three. Compare your challenges with your future glory. Wow. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Do I really believe what he said? Our momentary light affliction? Wow. You mean this is a light affliction? What you deal with in the way of disease, impairment, is a light affliction. I'm telling you it is. I don't know because the Bible says so. I know so. Charlotte knows so from what she deals with. I'll tell you a little story at the end. But there's a light compared to what glory is all about. So Paul, I think he had the comprehension in a very real way. 
But notice this, and here's what's puzzling. Every affliction and challenge have an eternal significance. Every affliction and challenge have an eternal significance. Here's what it means. You look at Romans 8, 17. The Bible says this. If children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. First Peter speaks of it as well. There's a sense that when you suffer, you identify with Christ and what he's been through in his own life. But you also relate to what is going on in heaven. And somehow it has an eternal significance. Now here's the point. He says that when you do this, you are producing for yourself an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That word eternal weight means a heavy mass. A heavy mass. Beyond all comprehension. What we're talking about here this morning when he says a light affliction and the eternal weight is this. It's a difference between a snowdrift that we see here in Illinois in the wintertime too many times, right? Snowed six months in a row this last year. It's a difference between a snowdrift and a great glacier in the far north country. There is no comparison. Paul said, look, what you're going through is nothing of religious in eternity. Now, Romans 8, 18, there at the bottom section number 3 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with what is the glory to be revealed to us. I can't tell you. I don't know. But I'll tell you something. My preacher daddy a long time ago said it was great. Our preacher today said it's great. My heart says it's great. The word says it's great. And I believe it. I believe it. It's going to be a great time to be with him. Now, here's the wind up. You say, well, that's a good day. You get to the point. Look at, look at number four. If indeed you're going to see beyond the visible to the eternal, to what is really important, you must focus on your spiritual realities. I want to dwell on that just a moment. Over the years, wherever we've served, whether it was in Fort Lauderdale, in Oklahoma, Midwest City, Oklahoma, Dallas, Texas, Plainview, Texas, Bayless, Illinois, Pittsfield, wherever we are, we've had three statements about focus as relates to the scripture. Number one, we choose to look up. We look up. Wherever we've been in our ministry over the years, we've used that slogan. We look up. We don't focus on the problem and the challenge. We look up. Number two, rise above it. You say, well, I'm discombobulated, I'm elevated. Well, so am I at times. But you know what? When your focus is right, you can rise above it. Doesn't mean you ignore it. Doesn't mean you don't deal with it. But you can rise above it. It is not your focus. And then here's a third term I use often. It happens to me frequently. 
the Lord speaks to us that through the Holy Spirit, through his word. I get all consumed, Cleve, by something. And the Holy Spirit will whisper in my ear, in my heart, David, stay focused. Stay focused. Look up. Rise above it. Stay focused. That's what he's saying in this word. Let's look at it very quickly. We look not things that are seen, but things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but things that are seen are not seen or eternal. Now, look at question number one. Does this passage teach that we're to ignore the challenges of life? Let's face it, we've all got them. There's nobody here today who does not have some kind of challenge in their life. We've all got it. So, as a believer, do we just ignore it? Go on? Trust God to deal with it? I say we deal with it. We don't ignore it. We don't put our head in the sand. And we say, God, we claim your power and strength. Give us vision. Give us wisdom. But move us on. Number two, at the very bottom, why indeed are we as human beings drawn to the visible and the urgent? I had a text at 5.30 in the morning, yesterday morning, with somebody in another area of business that we had. It was voluminous. It was urgent. It was obvious. I thought, what in the world? Then before the day was gone, I realized, hey, it's nothing compared to what God's kingdom is all about. We dealt with it, handled it. Christ said, God, to give us the words. It worked out very well. But we're drawn to this because it's obvious. And here's the other thing. The immediate is screaming for attention. And we had children at home. God only knows what we dealt with. Some of you know as well. But let me tell you something. Sometimes it's very urgent. We had to address it immediately. It's obvious. It's urgent. Sometimes it's doable. And then finally, it's just got to be done. And so we tend to ignore the spiritual realities of life. But now let me tell you something. Paul said, what you do not see is eternal. You say, well, what difference does it make, David? I'll tell you what difference it makes. Look at that number three. Very bottom of the page. Arabic number three. Your focus on the eternal gives opportunity for two things to happen. Number one, to share your walk of faith with others. And number two, to let God demonstrate his power. Only a few days ago, it's not a years ago story, it's only a few days ago, Charlotte and I were in Quincy. We unloaded the wheelchair van, got her out. I got my cane, like my Mephibosheth, I was following her, and we were just kind of making it do. Getting there, you know? It was quite a sight, apparently. Quite a sight. Unbeknownst to us, a businessman was watching us. We didn't know it. He watched us unload the wheelchair and watched us come across the street. We got up on the sidewalk. He was in front of his office. 
He said, good night, he said, something. He said, are you to do a pair? Are you a pair? He had to ask the right question, you know, I guess in today's world. He said, are you a pair? I said, yes, I've been a pair for 58 years. Husband and wife. And then he said, and then he said, I don't know his name to this day. He looked at Charlotte and looked at me. He said, I want to commend you for sticking together and making it happen in spite of your disabilities. I'm telling you something, in the sight of God, there are no disabilities. He takes care of us and he moves us on in a great way. Paul made this statement. I'll stand up here, won't fall, I promise you. Paul made this statement. The very bottom page, he said this. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having apprehended yet or laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, and that goes for us right here. One thing I do, forgetting what is lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I'm pressed towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's real. The great apostle Paul, and I'm closing now, those are famous last words of the preacher, right? Uh, Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, I think, he said, even now, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And then he said this, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Not for me only, but for all who love his appearing. It's available to every believer. He's real. And today we just need to focus on who he is and what he wants to do in your life. Let's pray together and then Brother Cleve's going to come. We'll have a song together and then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word of God. For in the word, we have power and strength. In the word, we have direction. We have wisdom. We have counsel. But, oh, Lord, we thank you for the precious spirit of God that resides within the heart of every believer who intercedes for us when we're adulated or discombobulated and gives counsel gives intercession to you on our behalf. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Your grace is beyond words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our takeaway this morning is simply this. It's Cleveland 30. Our desire, God's desire, is you focus on him. Not to ignore the reality of life. To keep looking up. Rise above it. And let him handle it. Brother Cleve. David, and uh, I didn't know where he was headed on the sermon until we get to that last version. I want to change songs. Would you turn in your hymnals, please? Shall we stand? 467. I'm pressing on the upward way. Yes. We're moving forward. Pressing, pressing. Don't give up. 
467. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand on heaven's heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to say where doubts arise and fears dismay, though some would dwell where these abound. Lord, plant my is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table and on your play than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has caught, caught that joyful sound, sound the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table and a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're indeed grateful for these sweet people here at Bethlehem Church Nazarene, what they mean to Charlotte and me and to all who come here and all who worship. Lord, we come to enjoy it, but on the other hand, we're so reminded we're here because people are not here yet. Just work in our hearts. Give us a desire to reach out, to follow the leadership that stands before us, and Pastor B.J. and Pastor Craig. We love them and praise you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, people said, amen. You're dismissed. We love you.